Hello and welcome to episode 371 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. And I, I guess maybe as you're listening to this, we'll wish you a happy 4th of July. <laughs> yes. You hadn't was, even considered that, had you? I, I wasn't going to Had say, not I crossed know. your mind. I thought we were going to point out that it was the Walt Jones episode. It is also the Walt Jones episode. Yeah. Uh, but there, there is a holiday as this is being released. Look, we're that is true. top notch at scheduling these sort of things. <laughs> I mean, I feel like people may need uh, some podcast listening on commutes. We're going to rank the songs on Born in the USA a little bit later today. <laughs> no, we're going to rank the photos of you on the 4th of July. We should actually talk. Imitating. Born. Let's talk Born in the USA at the end. <laughs> okay. We don't have that much. Let's get through all the sports. Uh, we got we to talk the sports and then you'll get some, uh, <laughs> some Born in the USA at the end as a treat. Yeah. As a dessert. Well, let's start with this week's beer. Here's our search for Seattle's best IPA. It takes, up, takes us north. On I-5 to Bellingham. Almost every single brewery has been north on I-5. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's north of Seattle on I-5. Uh, Boundary Bay Brewing in the Northwest Original IPA. And I'm a little confused by this description. I did not do any research. But our classic IPA, Inside Passage Ale, is that what they originally named it? Or are they just saying that Inside Passage Ale is another possible use of the acronym IPA? <laughs> Uh, first graced the Pacific Northwest with its presence in 1996, the big malt backbone and a heavy da- dose of Amarillo hops lead the way for this true Northwest-style IPA. The uh, malts include Turopeo Munich Karastan. I don't know how to pronounce that one. Karastino? Uh, Vienna. <laughs> and then the hops are Centennial and Cascade, in addition to that heavy dose of Amarillo hops. There we go. So You could smell the Amarillo hops. I'm a little bit. I I don't know. You're you're questioning the the bottle here. Yeah, I'm questioning. The, I I just I'm not sure about co-opting fisherman culture. I feel like in Bellingham, it's more okay. It's more okay to co-opt fisherman <laughs> yeah. culture. Yeah. I'm not sure that I think brewing culture and fisherman culture are actually as intertwined as this bottle might think they are. I mean, I don't know what what is the history of the IPA. Well, I was traveled on boats. I yeah, I assume so. So. That's that's maybe a future podcast for us. Do you have any thoughts about the current rankings of IPAs? Not really at all. Okay. Would you like to hear my rankings? That so sounds far? great. Uh, I have Bodhi's Office still at the top. Okay. The first one we had. Stoop Citra. Okay. Pike Brewing Space Needle. The Old Schoolhouse Brewery Rude Awakening. I thought that one we was pretty last good. Week. Uh, the Space Dust, although hopefully that's at some point going to get crushed by uh, Cloudburst. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Two Bears Wonderland, Black Raven's Trickster, Future Primitive Queer Bear. Was that el- eligible, the Queer Bear? Not technically. Okay. It's also not at the top of the list, so I think we're okay. The Rooftop Tropical Staycation, the Rubens Crikey, and the Georgetown Lucille. Seems like a fine list to me. There you go. I don't know. That, no again, we're just top-notch podcasters here. <laughs> but, I wholeheartedly really, agree. We have really nailed this podcasting thing a decade in. I just... I, they're all kind of good. There has not been a single beer. This was one of the 
complaints, maybe feedback that I'd given you about the search. That's fair. It's just when you're eating food, something about food sticks with you a little bit more than beer does. Yeah, the, the food sticks with you. And, but if I'm eating them beer like I, I all in one meal, is. I'm going to remember them a lot better. We also haven't necessarily talked that much of, over the course of the podcast because the way it works is not that we eat the food during the podcast. We eat it during the week and then talk about it on the pod. They're just, it's a different sensation. And, and I think the variations between dips, different types of foods, like people are making them so radically different. This might be a palate issue also. I don't know. Maybe if my IPA palate was more refined, I'd be like, well, oh, this is drastically different. Maybe it will continue to develop over the course of this. We've not brought on an IPA expert to talk to us yet, which hopefully we will at some point. This one, it's interesting. Condescending person we ever talked to. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Could be a, like a kind of brewer. I'm sure, I'm sure that they would be very friendly. Nice Jordan person. McKay wasn't condescending. No, was that, no that's not what I'm talking. I'm not saying any know. expert in any field is condescending. You're just saying beer in an particular. expert in this one particular field. <laughs> oh, buddy. Oh, this one. It's interesting. They mentioned the heavy dose of Amarillo hops. This does not feel like a super hoppy beer to me. Do you agree with that? You do. You, your your look indicates super, you it's, don't. It's it's a. Uh, uh, it's a different flavor, more than hops. Right. Yeah. It's heartier somehow. This is definitely not going to be in the... At the top? No. Okay. Well, let's get to our toast. This is the worst of the beers we've had. Wow. Not, not the worst. It's, it's still good. But it, this, this is the one that... Maybe it's because you're prompting me right now. <laughs> We're getting the I'm, takes. I'm thinking more about it. But th- this does not... You like that. That's what you want is that strong hop flavor, right? That's I, why the I, fresh hop season... You know, we all, we're all so excited about fresh hop season. When you can taste the hops. That's a great point. This is a, it's a different aroma. It's maltier. Yes, it is much maltier. We start with congratulations to Luis Castillo, the only Mariner chosen for the AL All-Star game, AL All-Star team for the game in Seattle on July 11th this week. Castillo's first appearance with the Mariners, obviously, since he joined them after last year's All-Star game. Third overall for Luis Castillo. Have you felt like... This all-star game is kind of just like at the beginning of the season, it was like all-star game, all-star game, all-star game. And now as it's coming, you're like, oh, God, that's next week. Uh, given how much less Mariners I have watched over the course of this season, not entirely the Mariners' fault. Also for outside reasons. Uh, yes. I think also like people were imagining the all-star game coming off of the playoff appearance last year with the excitement coming into the season. It's going to be like the high point of this amazing season of Mariners baseball. And then the Mariners season happened. Yeah, that's. And it's like, oh, how many homegrown stars? You know, who's going to join Julio on the all-star team? And then it's just Luis Castillo, although they could have some injury replacements, I suppose. Uh, are you out of town? The All-Star Futures game is on Saturday. I am out of town. You're out of All-Star town. Futures I've got game. baseball. I will be... the, the number one thing that distracts me from paying attention to baseball is baseball. That is that is true. A professional baseball is ruined for you by youth baseball. I It's really kind of like... They'll, they have like every Sunday. That's why we could spend so much time following baseball when we were children because we were not... That's true. not busy playing in organized fashion. We could fit our going to... Uh, Kentridge High School or Lake Young's Elementary School. Shout out to the Fairwood listeners. Listener, you're really, you're really hammering the Fairwood. <laughs> I mean, it feels appropriate, but we can schedule that around the Mariners game that day. Uh, it, it's funny they have like little league days at the ballpark, and every single one of those days, 
I have been at children's baseball. It's just the little league schedule is maybe a little bit different. I don't think they play on Sundays, but like anything that young people in baseball are participating in as it pertains to the Mariners, I have not been able to do because I've been at a baseball game, which I think is the optimal case. The The most baseball thing you can do is yeah. be at a baseball game. Yeah. The most baseball thing you can do is not pay attention to the Mariners because of baseball. Okay, I want to talk to you about a specific July 4th Mariners game. Wow, I was hoping you'd bring this up. <laughs> do you remember the 1994 Mariners game at Baltimore? I really don't. This is a very memorable 4th of July for me. Richie Amaral in this game made how many errors? Oh, I kind of Two remember. errors, giving him 15 for the season <laughs> through July 4th <laughs> at second base. Oh my God. Was set down after this game. A really crushing moment. <laughs> For us as children, me in particular. He made his 14th and 15th air. 13th and 14th. Oh, yeah, 14th and 15th, yes. On the 4th of July. On the 4th of July. And then they called up A-Rod subsequent to this. Wow. And A-Rod made his major league debut at age 19. Oh, my God. Yeah. I did not realize that Rich Amaral is who got sent down. Oh, I haven't mentioned that trivia in wow. on this podcast in Happy that long. Happy 4th of July. So that was uh, 19 years ago. Or 29 years ago. Uh, many, many years ago. Uh... Afterwards, we watched the movie The Jerk. Also, On the 4th of July. a formative experience for me. So okay. I, I quoted it not long ago, The Jerk. I quoted it incorrectly, but I quoted it nonetheless. Uh, the Mariners lost that one to the Orioles 9-4, to dropping to 35-46 in the 1994 season, which was uh, not a 2023-style disappointment, but in, in the ballpark. Can I tell sure. you my 4th of July tradition, aside from dressing like Bruce Springsteen on the cover? <laughs> or on the, we'll see if I do it tomorrow. I don't know. Uh, but the Simpsons episode, the, sum, the Summer of Four featuring two. Are you aware of this episode? The Summer of Four featuring two. It doesn't They, they go to the, to the Flanders' beach, ca- beach cabin, right? There's notes everywhere. Do you remember this? I don't. Lisa has her yearbook and nobody signs it. And then she meets a bunch of friends at oh, this summer beach cabin. Yeah. And then they find out that she's a nerd and Bart is like a nerd for them, right? And then they have this epic time at a theme park. There's fireworks. And then the friends come back around. Uh, that to me is the number one 4th of July piece of media. Uh, did, I may end up watching The Sandlot for the 4th of July. Okay. There's a big... The, the thing about the... We're getting to the 4th of July. Here, here we go. Okay. <laughs> we, I feel like we must have talked about this. The thing about the 4th of July in media... Is that it? It is the it is the crest of summer, right? In media, the Fourth of July is the most epic night that you have all summer. So there's all this time leading up to it. All of this action is happening, and then the the primary event that happens in your story happens on the Fourth of July, right? There's epic Fourth of July wonder years. There's uh, uh, Fourth of July Stranger Things, The Sandlot. It's like that is the That's most because if you because. Like the interesting thing about the Fourth of July from a television standpoint is, there is no new scripted network television. But in but July. as a thematic device, yes, the Fourth of July is the most important day of the summer. Well, that's because immediate. most people don't have Seafair Sunday, <laughs> which obviously was the high point of our summer yeah. as children. I would, I would, I feel, we I are writing like our Seafair Sunday. I think it was Tri City Waterfalls growing up it was the Fair. more important. Because we'd go, we'd go to Eastern Washington, hang out with the other carcinos. For like a week. With the, the carcinos. I mean, I mean, obviously the famous cousin Katie had to be there as the MVP. Yeah. Hanging out with, with Katie and Chris as, as the MVPs, having access to their pool. Oh. 
like when you're kids, if you get a weekend at a pool, that is an important. But moment. it was like we sometimes we would people. go for a full week. Yeah, no, that was awesome. That was like a little bit later, but like that drive that that to us was like the peak moment of the summer. Fair, but in actuality, at least if you're in, I assume the same school schedule or whatever. The Fourth of July is like the first event of summer. Well, it's I mean like that's that's one difference summer. between. The West Coast and the East Coast. The East Coast, you're out of school for a long period of time by the 4th of July. So you could have the beginnings of your relationships and then have them crest on the 4th of July. Yeah, it's kind of the There's midpoint of the summer on the East Coast. a lot of summer after. Sure. It's a little strange. If you were to, to, to timing-wise, if you were to guess where the 4th of July hits, you would think it was like two, three weeks. It would be like... like I mean, Seattle schools just got out like last Friday. It was their last day, wasn't it? Yeah. But it's like capital block party time, you know, yeah. third, fourth week of July, something like that. That's the actual, like, that's the crest of summer where you still have more after. You still have more summer. You're not really stressed about going back to school yet. And you've had time to have your summer relationships build up. That is the exact peak of summer is like third, fourth week of July. Okay. And then you get into August, the Sunday scaries of months. It's true. It's coming soon. It's yeah. August is one long Sunday, especially because school's starting really early now. It's already really hazy at sunset tonight. Well, there's there's fires in Canada. Yeah. Uh, but but the other thing is when you become an adult and start caring about football, you get pretty excited about August because all of a sudden you're like football's coming. You're more excited and, about and that. And your life I is horrible all the time. You just have to work constantly. <laughs> so it's not like you have summer off. <laughs> True. Good point. <laughs> But then they give you a little bit of football as it gets colder. Just like we're giving people a little bit of board of the USA at the end of this <laughs> a podcast. <little> bit. <laughs> Just a t- taste. Uh, continue our toast. Don't know how we got there from here. Congrats to Essie Megbegor voted by WNBA coaches. Toast, huh? We have only one done toast. <laughs> a reserve for the All-Star game on July 16th in Las Vegas. This is the first All-Star appearance for Megbegor at age 23. Wow. Surely not the last. The Storm have more All-Stars than they do wins. Did I make that joke <laughs> last week? Yes. <laughs> Maybe offline. But, but now there's another player. No, that was on the podcast. Oh, yeah, it was. Now there's another player, and it's actually true. It's still not true. Absolutely not true. They have four wins, two All-Stars. And in wins. that week that passed, did they get a third All-Star? Or Ezzy Megbogor? She is the second. They did get more All-Stars in the past week than wins. Because last week they had four wins, and they still got four wins. That is that is accurate. The number of All-Stars keeps going up, and the number of wins stays the same. Uh, I did a podcast selecting All-Stars last week after we recorded Okay. Uh, with on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Uh, one of the things I looked at on there was the net rating with Ezzy and Jewel Lloyd on the bench. Okay. And the Storm are getting outscored by approximately 30 points per 100 possessions. Did you pick Ezzy for the All-Star game? Of course. I thought you went out of your way not to pick players from the city of Seattle for honors. <laughs> Am I wrong about that? Only if they're born okay. in the city of Seattle. Okay. If they Only. play there now, then you're mildly okay with them. If they were born there. Uh, by the way, okay, another aside. The Coach K subplot in this season of the Bear. Oh, yeah. I did yeah, not no, see that coming. strange. Chicago native, I suppose. Is he? Coach K? Yeah. All right. Next up, congrats to Oleg. Makes him like Coach. 14% more likable. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> wow. 14%. You don't think so? I don't. I didn't put a number on it. It's not also, a, I always knew that he was from Chicago. It's not new information. It's me. not a lot, but it's like 
it's a it's a tangible number. It's not like one percent. Yeah. Where it's it's negligible. Like it's a tangible number. Okay. Fourteen percent. Congrats to Oil Ring coach Laura Harvey, who agreed to a contract extension through two thousand twenty five. Uh, well-deserved for Harvey, who has led Oil Rain to nothing but regular season success since returning to that role during the 2021 season. And lastly this week, finally, congrats to J. Michael Kelly and the UA Beacon Electric awarded the Governor's Cup in Madison, Indiana as part of the Madison Regatta on accumulated points after the final was stopped when the U40 bucket list racing driven by Dustin Eccles completed a full 360-degree oh, flip man. at the end of lap number one. This was such a big deal. Pat McAfee tweeted about it. Whoa! And TMZ had a post about Whoa. it. H1 was having a moment this weekend. That is this wild. It, it was one of those incredible I love moments. that you're citing as a positive TMZ and Pat McAfee. First off, that's my coworker, Pat McAfee. Okay. Is he an ESPN? Yes, yes. I have no idea. That was a big news story a few weeks back. Oh, he just was hired at ESPN. Very recently, okay. yes. I mean, he had been doing uh, college game day, I think, previously. Uh, th- this is one of those flips where the boat goes, like, makes a complete rotation lands on the tail, kind of, you know, flops down and continues going forward. I oh, mean, the, really? It was not still running it at that point, but still had the momentum the after the flip. So it's like the, it's basically a somersault that the boat did. That's wild. What did TMZ have to say about this? I, just I, like I, know, I didn't click on it. I just saw it retweeted that they had posted about it, which was amazing. Wow, this is a huge moment. Yeah, you got to capitalize on <laughs> this one. So, of course, they're not going to have a race for four weeks. Uh, uh, with Storms preventing the final from being rerun, it was the second consecutive race victory awarded on points to start the 2023 oh, H1 Unlimited Hydroplane season. Next race is the Columbia Cup, July 28th through 30th. In Tri-Cities, Washington. Are you going to that? TBD. Okay. We'll we'll be in central Washington that weekend, so we're not far. Be the most important weekend of your summer. It could be. It could be. Uh, Should we talk Damian Lillard? We we already did for so long last week, (laughs) and none of it mattered after. I I don't know if it didn't matter after. It's funny because, okay, so I get the, the notification that Damian Lillard has asked for a trade. That was back before Twitter was completely broken. And it was, after all of our conversation, I still wanted Damian Lillard to be traded. Like, I can understand the positives of Damian Lillard being on the team forever. But, ultimately, it just felt like it was time for for both parties to move on. Right? I think this is a nice marriage of a trade request. It's not necessarily at the expense of, like, the Blazers are going to be competing for a championship right now. There's going to have these great moments. They're a young team who needs to get younger. They need to rebuild the roster around somebody else at this point. And that somebody else is Jeremy Grant, who has agreed to a five-year, $160 million contract. But, but, and I also, I think, I still think it's important when you're rebuilding a roster to have an adult in the room, too. I don't think it is terrible to have Jeremy Grant. He's probably being overpaid or whatever. But, like, I don't, are any, I see these contracts and I'm like, is anybody that overpaid at this point? I think eventually, yes. But Nate Duncan made a strong case that, that that contract will be very tradable because he's good enough that teams will still want to aggregate their players who are not as good to get him. So, And he's probably going to age fairly. He's not that old, right? He's 29. He's 29. How? It's yeah. four years? Five years. Five years. He'll, he will be a competent role player. He'll be a good role player for like three or four years. He'll be traded before the contract is out. He'll be gone I, from Portland probably three years. I agree with this assessment. But I would, I would take the under on that one. 
but ultimately this was a this was a nice trade request for both parties. This was one that made sense. I don't think I don't think there will be long term hard feelings in Portland, and I, I don't, don't think, think so. there should be long term hard feelings well, there on either shouldn't side. Shouldn't be, but like I mean. I always come back to the Sean Kemp example of how upset a lot of people in Seattle were after his trade request, which came after, you know, with a team that had come within a game at the conference finals the year before. It was a very different situation in a, a tumultuous, let's say, season for Sean Kemp leading up to it. He's still maybe, you know, GP's more beloved than him. Ken Griffey's probably more beloved than him. But he's still a top three most beloved Seattle athlete of the 90s, without it question. It's nice that Sean Kemp never had any two good moments anywhere else. Well, yes. I feel like Griffey's kind of the same way. It's like Griffey left that Seattle is... and his career was more or less over. That's an interesting point to think of. I mean, Randy Johnson obviously achieved a lot of success. And that's why he's not Seattle. ours as much. Erod, positives and negatives of his post-Mariners stint. I think Arod's post-Mariners, he had some of the best seasons of all time. Positives and negatives? Yeah, I think also the steroids. Kind I of, mean, yes, I sure. Kind of tainted like, a lot of it. Okay. I don't think A-Rod is like... Performance-wise, like A-Rod had some pretty nice years. I, that's why the, that's the positives. <laughs> <laughs> the others, everything else was the negative. But you think of like Kemp, Griffey, Peyton, you know, was at the tail end of his career when he left. Uh, Russell Wilson so far. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I guess maybe the answer is just that players tend to request trades after they're already past their prime. Yes. So, whereas I mean, Erod left Ray when Allen he was like twenty six. He did. He didn't request a trade, but like Rayon had big moments. Decidedly, did not request a trade in multiple different places. I feel like when most people think of Rayon, they think of him as a Celtic. I agree, especially because he only made the playoffs the one time in Seattle. He'll always be a Sonic toss. Anyway. What's so going to happen? You know, a lot of people have pointed out that other teams can easily trump what Miami is able to offer here. I don't think that necessarily means they will. I'm not saying that there won't be interest in Damian Lillard, but, you know, it's it's been widely reported that maybe Brooklyn is on his list, but Miami is a pretty clear number one on his list. Who are other teams, though? So, I mean, Utah, for example, is a team that's been thrown out. Is They could offer tons of draft picks for Damian Lillard, who played his college ball down the road at Weber State. Would Utah want... Is that a Danny Ainge trade? I don't think so. doesn't it, strike that, me. It yeah, strikes me as the opposite of the trades they just made last year. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to be like, is this a, a good marriage of team and player? And I think Danny Ainge isn't stupid. He understands. I mean, he understands where the Jazz are right now, and that they're not one Damian Lillard away from really competing. Exactly, and I think the other thing that if you're a team like Utah, you have to think about is okay. Let's say you get Damian Lillard, and he plays a couple years there, and then he's unhappy and he demands a trade from your team, and now he's got a couple years left on his contract, so he's got more leverage to do that. What's his trade value going to be in two years? When he's just kicking in that extension, that uh, I'm gonna, there's no fucking way the Jazz are trading for him. That is, that's out of the question. I would be very surprised. Why wouldn't the, they have just kept Donovan Mitchell? The third team that is a consideration to me, besides in Brooklyn, may not even be if they're supposedly a, a candidate to take Tyler Hero as part of a three-team trade that would send Lillard to Miami. Philly would be the other team to watch. Since they uh, they would be highly motivated to bring in Damian Lillard, and the two years from now scenario doesn't matter because you need to try to win a championship with Joel Embiid right now. Has Daryl Daryl Morey loves trading for superstars, right? That is correct. Has Daryl Morey ever lost a trade for a superstar? Yes, he has. 
Which one? Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul. Well, was that actually Daryl Morey's trade? I think Daryl. I think there there might have been some awareness that Daryl Morey was not necessarily going to be in Houston to deal with the downside of that trade long term. Beyond that one, though, when you traded for Harden, someone did not give that a good grade. But like long term, has that affected them that much? Well, it's weird because on the one hand, they got rid of Ben Simmons, yeah. which turned out to be great. On the other hand, they could have gotten Tyrese Halliburton for Ben Simmons had they so desired. And think about how that would have worked out. And then the trade with the Thunder to get Harden is a straight swindling. Yes. I mean, I, like the question with the Sixers is whether they would include Tyrese Maxey. If they're willing to include Tyrese Maxey, like that's a better piece than... You know, Miami can include realistically and probably a better player than any other team is going to offer in return. Why does James Harden not want to be in Philly? I, I haven't talked to James Harden. Seems like there's some unhappiness with what the Sixers were, the Sixers' willingness to negotiate with him on a new contract. Okay. But I do think if you're Philly, you can say you're different than, than Utah or whatever. You can say to yourselves, we can make Dame Lillard happy for a couple of years. And we can win a championship if we get him right now. Are they the best team in the East? I mean, it depends what it takes and what a James Harden trade possibly in conjunction with this would return. It's plausible. It's a lot of ins and outs. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of moving pieces. But there's the other factor that, let's say, if Miami trades for Dame Lillard as Tyler Hero plus picks or whatever, is Miami now better than Philly? Yes. Is Miami the best team in the East? I don't know about Boston and Milwaukee relative to them. I would have to think about that some more. But so if you're Philly, you're pretty motivated to not have Dame Lillard be on the Heat. Yes. What about the Clippers? Is that a conversation at all? No. Just because they, they don't have assets. They, they Harden is a much more realistic player for them to get. Are there any other teams? Uh... My colleague Ramona Shalvern reported that Lillard has re- great respect for the San Antonio organization. That also does not seem like a move you make immediately after drafting a 19-year-old number one overall. <laughs> Do they have players to trade for a Dame? They have recent first-round picks. And, and good young players on, on good contracts, Kelvin Johnson, Devin Vassell. He's going to find his way to Miami. I do feel like the amount that we read that it's not just going to be Miami makes me... It reinforces to you that it's going to yes, be Miami? That I feel like a lot of people are having these conversations or putting it out there in the media to push the conversation that it could be somebody else. And I think it's important for Portland to make sure that there are possible destinations or whatever. Which I think they'll be in that position. They'll be able to pit Miami in a negotiation against at least one other team. I'm optimistic about that. And if it's Philly and they're just using Philly for leverage or whatever and Dame ends up in Miami, then yeah, they got more out of the package. Yeah. And everyone walks away happy. I, I just think there's been too much conversation about it not definitely being Miami, which makes me think it's definitely Miami. Right. I guess we'll see. I mean, I think, look, the reality is how much are we going to talk about the Blazers next year? Probably is depends on how good Scoot is. They're probably going to be. They have their own draft picks next year, right? Lottery protected. Don't think that'll be an issue. <laughs> it's going to be a rebuilding season for Portland. 
It'll probably be fun in a lot of ways, though. It'll be interesting, like, depending what they get out of a Dame trade, I think they could be a little underrated because people tend to underrate. I mean, Utah last year is the classic example of you trade a suit, and like, not that they're going to get Lowry Markkinen in return and someone's going to blossom into an all-star unexpectedly. But like, if you trade a superstar for three good players, it doesn't actually hurt you as much as you think it, people think it does because those three good players are probably replacing players in the rotation who weren't as good. Isn't it kind of like Oklahoma City the first year after? That could be another comparison. I mean, I, again, I don't think they're getting Chris Paul in this one or Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but yeah. And, the, and then the question about those teams always is, well, how motivated are they for, to go for it all season? OKC did and nearly won a playoff series. Utah traded away 3K players in midseason and tanked pretty hard the rest of the way. But they're going to want to get Shaden a ton of minutes. They're going to want to get Scoot a ton of minutes. Yeah. But the front court, they could improve, especially, you know, if it, I mean, I don't know if they would land a center in this trade. Uh, it's it's possible that Yusuf Nurkic would be included. He is the only center currently on their roster, other I, than I feel like One of the important things that they can do in the trade is get rid of Nurk, though, is move Nurk's contract. It doesn't really does not really fit with the current direction of the Blazers. God bless Nurk. Okay, well, I, I mean, I, look, we'll talk about Dame's career in Portland. He's actually traded, but I, it was awesome watching him. We had some amazing moments. We talked about Dame. it last week. Yeah, and I don't live in Portland. When the Sonics come back, I won't care at all. So this is a great position to be in for us. Well, speaking of great positions to be in, we're not going to do that because it's time for your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. All-star reserves were announced this weekend, and the Mariners predictably ended up with just one all-star. And the game being played next week is arriving with a whimper. All of the energy and excitement around it that opening day brought has been tossed aside and ignored, much like Jerry DePoto over the offseason. This year could not be any more different than the last time Seattle hosted an All-Star game way back in 2001. And I'm here to tell you why. That's a great thing. Wow. While some might say 2001 was one of the best baseball seasons of all time, one of the greats, a rookie MVP, the most wins in history, to me, it was an unmitigated failure. As little as this current roster can have in common with the 2001 roster, the better. It was an aging roster that limped their way to the playoffs, barely hanging on and not fulfilling the expectations the city had. They lost to the Yankees and proudly said goodbye to the playoffs for the next 20 years. Limped to the playoffs. Well, if you want to have your baseball celebration in July, then have fun with all of that. But this team in 2023 is playing for the second half. For when it counts, they swing for the fences, not slap singles, and are building something greater in baseball in the city of Seattle. The hope is back. A monster second half is coming, and unlike 2001, a monster playoffs as well. Because this team isn't playing for July, playing for all-time singles records. They're poised to win in October and beyond. And I personally, now that we're almost here, can't wait for a great second half of baseball. I gotta say, 
even by all takes Tristan standards. This is one of the most shocking takes in the history of this podcast. We're back, baby. We are so back. Uh, do you want to know what the Mariners' record was in the second half of the season? Last the year? All-Star break? No, in 2001. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't. 53 and 22. <laughs> it was worse than it was in the first half, right? They were 63 and 24 in the first half. So it was worse in the second half, I agree. Also, they were so far ahead. It really did not matter at the end of the season. Although they, they won almost all their games at the end of the season. Let me just say, this is a take, but you have to kind of hear me here a little bit. No, I, I mean, well, okay. Uh, by the way, they won, let's see, 10 of their last 12 games to get to 116 wins. That was their limping to the playoffs. In year. They also yeah. won a, a playoff series. Like, that's that's not a small thing to have oh, won a playoff, oh, series a playoff series in 116 games and we won a playoff series. You know, they've only... They've, nice fucking year, Mariners. They've never gone What did you do that. for the next 20 years after okay, that? Okay, well, I agree that the next 20 years were not so good. This, he, this was the last gasp of a dying organization okay, okay, for 20 hold on, years. Hold on, The 2001 on. Mariners. As, as I need to remind you... They won 93 games the next the year. 93 games the next two years, which is more than they won in 2022, right? Yeah, it's more than they won either of the last two years. Last gasp. <laughs> so I'm going to... If you're willing to take a bat on whether the Mariners go better than 53 and 24 I'm, after I'm the All-Star not, break... Not necessarily that. <laughs> They'll win as many playoff series. I do not agree with this assessment. If also, you, count, you don't you count the wild card round. Yeah, you do not count the wild card round. No, it's not the same. It's like saying you won in the play in the uh, the first four, and you're like, "Look, we won a game in the NCAA tournament. We beat the other eleven seed." Here's what you need to know: Chaos Ball is back that in was Seattle. The ninth inning, bottom of the ninth. It was there was. It, it was the first time in a long time. Jose Caballero was making like Sam Haggerty out there. That things have felt pretty exciting. Julio is very energized. You know about, are you aware of the last vestige of the, bas- of the bad team? All players meeting. Oh, yes. Love when, it. When you get the reports of a players only meeting, yeah. you know your team is number one, bad. And number two, so fucking back. <laughs> you know that your team is about to regress to the mean. Because they have been really unlucky in one-run games. Look, that's coming back what? too. The Mariners went guess out of what? their way to make it a one-run so, game. worked so hard to make it a one-run game tonight. Incredible. Uh, <sighs> you know what else happened today? Key to this victory. What was that? Mariners had an Italian back on the roster. There we go. Matt Festa. <laughs> Finally. The other news that people have been, speaking of Italians, that people have been waiting waiting on. Uh was finding out whether oh, he might be champ, champ of the camp. And look, we went in Thursday was the last day of camp. People were so excited to see. Look, the, the older one, Luca, very good baseball player. 13 strikeouts in five and two thirds. Chopped liver at this camp. No one cared <laughs> about him at all. And, and, uh, uh, Mrs. Fantasy Genius is like, he's just like a normal Rock Creek player. He just goes and takes care of business. He does everything exactly as it's supposed to be done or whatever. He doesn't make a scene. Marco, though, when he showed up every single day, people were more and more excited. Like, dropping them off, and these kids are just like, Marco's a fucking goat. As he walks in, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is kind of incredible because baseball-wise, we'll see. We'll see if he's a goat. Developing. Yeah. He's, he's again, he's a second baseman and uh making his play so far might be Rich Amrol in ninety four before Ooh. the uh, before the all star game. Like 
Except without, I assume Richain World's batting average wasn't bad. Anyway. Not as good as 93. These kids loved Marco. So I go into the last day, right? They announce, they're going to announce it at the end. All the parents are there watching. And I'm like, I, f- I feel like there's a chance because of the whispers. I mean, literally we're dropping them off and seeing kids so excited about him showing up. And uh, they're like yelling his name. So we get there. They go through every single one of the winners of each of the, they have by age, like skills competitions where you do like base running, hitting, fielding, stuff like that. And so they're like the 12U division, the 11s, the 10s, the 9s. Uh, for the 8-9 division, Marco is the skills champ. And I was shocked to hear his name. Again, Luca is not even in the conversation. <laughs> like nowhere to be seen in this conversation. Uh, and so they're finally like, all right, the moment you've all been waiting for. I see them talking to, like all the, all the coaches are talking to each other or whatever. And they're like, all right, time to announce champ of the camp. Uh <sighs> And it wasn't Marco. Some other kid. I think the intel that I got was I think he finished second. Wow. And I'm just you were like that close to oh, no. he, the he was, jury to put over. I, I heard that he he received votes at the very least, and there are not that many votes. Yeah, they don't they don't publish that like the uh, NBA publishing no. the MVP voting. Well Lucas coaches one of his sons was one of the people who voted. And he was like, Yeah, I heard that Marco had a couple couple votes for champ of the camp, and I'm like Oh, it was so close. But he's still the eight nine skills competition. I'm like that that we were good with that. We were happy that he won that. That was something. Yeah. But yeah, I showed you Lucas five and two thirds, uh, thirteen strikeouts, one single hit and one unearned run, and took the loss, which is why I gave him the nickname. <laughs> the Orioles are throwing this nickname around also, but this motherfucker has does not understand what life is like. That's why I gave him the nickname King Felix. Because he understood what it was like to be King Felix for a decade. Wait, who are the Orioles calling King Felix? They have a reliever. Named Felix? Felix Batista or whatever. You can't just call anyone. Yeah. I'm aware. Also, the Felix Batista, he's a rookie. And everything has gone very well for him. Luca went five and two-thirds, struck out 13, and gave up one hit and lost the game. That is that is very Felix-esque. Uh, we were talking about Felix after he was beating himself up about it. He was like, I lost us the game. And I'm like, dude, Felix threw a perfect game and somehow almost lost. <laughs> I wish I could say that was untrue, but maybe it isn't. All right, some other Mariners news. Uh, Bryce Miller was placed on the injured list with a blister that caused him to leave Friday night's start after four innings. The Seattle Times reported that Tommy Malone will be back up to fill Miller's spot in the rotation on Wednesday in the series finale in San Francisco. Uh, also Monday, the Mariners traded Chris Flexen with Trevor Gott to the Mets for left-handed pitcher Zach Muckenhern. Uh, like Flexen, Muckenhern was recently designated for assignment, will report to Tacoma, having made his major league debut this season at age 28, giving up 11 hits and six innings of relief. Well, Muck and Hearn does provide some organizational depth. It's mostly the Mariners trading got to save the remaining $4 million on Flexen's It felt like salary. an NBA trade, kind of. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're attaching salary. You're like dumping salary to a, a player that is mildly desirable. They got off that, that Joe Harris contract. All right, cracking news. NHL of free agency a day after NBA free agency opened on Saturday. The Kraken opened, opted not to make qualifying offers to Morgan Geeky and Daniel Sprong, meaning both players were unrestricted free agents. They quickly signed elsewhere. Sprong to Detroit, 
geeky to Boston. Kraken also lost defenseman Carson Soucy, who signed with Vancouver after ranking sixth among Seattle backliners in ice time during the regular season. And Ryan Donato, who ranked sixth with 31 points in the inaugural season, but dropped to 27 points last season as the Kraken's attack improved. They'll replace Susie with longtime Pittsburgh Penguin Brian Dumoulin, who was drafted by the Carolina Hurricanes when Seattle GM Ron Francis was working in player development there. Dumoulin subsequently was traded to Pittsburgh, played 10 seasons for the Penguins, winning a pair of Stanley Cups. He's coming off a career-high 25 points at age 31, will make ever so slightly less than Susie over a two-year deal as compared to Susie's three. Uh, the other addition so far for the Kraken in free agency, Spokane native Kyler Yamamoto a winger who played for the Spokane Chiefs before being drafted in the first round by Edmonton in 2017. Yamamoto played six seasons for the Oilers, topping out at 41 points in 2021-22. That total dropped in large part because Yamamoto played just 58 games this past season after playing in 81 during 2021-22, the only time in his career he's played more than 60. Yamamoto did score the clinching goal as Edmonton beat the LA Kings in the opening round of the playoffs. He was subsequently traded to Detroit, bought out of the final year of his contract, paving the way for the Kraken to sign him to a one-year deal for $1.5 million. Kraken did make qualifying offers to four players who remain free agents, Will Borgen, Vince Dunn, Cale Fleury, and Cole Lind. <clears throat> for the first time since May, the Seattle Sounders were victorious on Saturday. Really? They went a whole month without winning? They did. Oof. Three draws, one loss. Uh, beating the Houston Dynamo, who were reduced to 10 men for a pair of yellows in the second half, with Albert Rushnak subsequently netting the only goal in the 67th minute. Sanders had been controlling the game previously, but had been unable to break through. Rushnak scored the goal while playing as an inverted winger after stopping swapping spots with Nico Ladero. And Louis, Leo Chu had the assist as part of a really strong game for him, uh, coming off the wing. The win moved the Sounders into a tie for second in the West with LAFC, which still has two matches in hand. They will not make that up in the next week as the Sounders play a pair of matches on Saturday. They make their second trip of the season to Vancouver, facing the team that holds the ninth and final playoff spot in the West. The Wednesday after that, it's at Surprising San Jose, which stands sixth in the West standings, seventh in points per match, having finished 14th in the West last season. So much improved San Jose. Well, Rain, without the U.S. Women's National Team members, had a 2-2 draw Saturday against Racing Louisville at home, needing two late goals to earn that point. The visitors took the lead midway through the first half, extended to 2-0 in the 76th minute before the Rain scored twice in the last 10 minutes of the 90. Elise Bennett assisted sub-Veronica Latsko in the first, scored the equalizer in the 87th minute. Rain are now all alone in third place in the NWSL standings as they head to Orlando on Friday. The Pride come in ninth in the NWSL with a minus seven goal differential, but they are coming off a 3 nothing win over the Washington Spirit last weekend, which allowed the Rain to move ahead of the Spirit in the standings. All right, Seattle Storm news. I'm just trying to get to the Bruce. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just go through the rundown fast. Let's get to the board in the USA talk. Our long watch is over. Gabby Williams has finally re-signed with the Storm for the remainder of the 2023 season. Did you report this? Season. I saw you get credit as reporting this. I confirmed it. Okay. It was first reported by M. Adler in the next on Friday morning. Was able to confirm it Friday afternoon in the midst of writing about NBA free agency. Uh, after the Storm re- released guard Arella Garantes to clear a roster spot on Thursday, uh, enough time has now passed that the Storm no longer needed to waive two players to make room for Williams' salary. So that was good news. She rejoins a team that has lost its last three games, following a season, following a season worst eight games below 500. 
They played another thriller on Thursday against Minnesota, forcing overtime on a Jewel Lloyd score with 21 seconds remaining, but seeing the Lynx win it there. Rookie Diamond Miller tied the game with 11 seconds left, and after a Lloyd turnover forced by pressure on the inbounds pass, Nafisa Collier made the winner over a double team with a second remaining in that one. Sunday saw Brianna Stewart return to Seattle for the second time and score 14 points in the first quarter as the Liberty built a big lead early, cruised to an 81-66 victory. Joyner Holmes started both of those games for the Storm at Power Forward. Jordan Hurston sidelined Thursday off the bench Sunday due to a shoulder injury. Uh, previous starting center, Mercedes Russell, took a DNP CD against the Lynx and played sparingly against the Liberty. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Gabby Williams slots into the lineup. Possible she could play some at Power Forward if they want to start both her and her fellow UConn alum, Kia Nurse. Uh, otherwise... Williams started last year at small forward, could push Kia Nurse to the bench if they want to start bigger lineups. Uh, Williams will presumably join the Storm from France on this East Coast swing that features four games in seven days at Connecticut, New York, Washington, and Atlanta as they wrap up play before the All-Star break. Let me just ask about Gabby Williams. Yeah. Why did the Storm want Gabby Williams? How old is she? She's still quite young. I think she's like 25. No, she's old. Maybe is this a old. long-term contract? No, it's it's presumably a one-year contract. Through the end of the year? Yes. Let me ask the same question I asked again. Why did the Storm want Gabby Williams right now? Was she free to sign anywhere? She was restricted, so no. Okay. Is this basically just like there's a player who's more or less under contract and she should play here? She's about to turn 27. So she's certainly young enough to be part of this roster going forward. I mean, she's younger than Jewel Lloyd. You're not answering my question. I mean, she's she's a good player and was an important part of last year's team. Do the Storm want to win right now? Is there tanking in the same way in the WNBA as there is in the NBA? No. There's not as explicit tanking. No, not, not even close. Everybody's trying, more or less. For the most part. Is that kind of what this is? Could the Storm have been the first team to have truly tanked? I mean, they wouldn't have been the first. We've seen teams because of injuries. Like Phoenix, the year they got Brittany Griner, basically did the San Antonio Spurs-Tim Duncan situation where they had some injuries. I think that might have been the season Diana Taurasi took off. And like, hey, great, we just dropped Brittany Griner in the middle of this team that was already pretty good. Uh-huh. So. I, I just don't, I understand their cumulative records. That's Which is why that happened, because of Phoenix that year. Oh, really? Yes. They're the reason that they made the rule? 100%. Oh, that's fun uh and but, brianna stewart that was the other reason because the storm were bad for one year and they got stewie no no the storm actually benefited stewie was coming into the league so they knew the teams might tank for stewie which the storm it was a preemptive rule against tanking for stewie yes they wanted to not make it as easy to tank for stewie but then it really benefited the storm who had been bad the previous season and they weren't that bad the year that, that they drafted stewie they were still a not good, but they were San Antonio was the worst team in the league that season and did not get the number one pick. But there's still a lottery on top of this. Correct. This is just for lottery odds. Correct. It's like kind of going far out of their way to uh, plan against tanking. Whatever has happened most recently is whatever teams try to leg- or leagues try to legislate against. I I just I'm not sure. What is the record right now? Four and twelve. Are would you say that they're eliminated from the playoffs? I would not say that, no. How many games back are they? I mean, 
Like nobody's really running away with those last playoff spots. Let me tell you, uh, Minnesota having gone on a three-game winning streak is at seven and nine is now in the last playoff spot. So if the Storm had won those two games against Minnesota, you know both of which were competitive, uh, they would then be ahead of Minnesota in the standings. They're only three games back. Yes. Whereas I look at the Mariners and I'm like, they're right in it. I mean, there's a lot more games in baseball. There's <laughs> only 40 in the WNBA season. So we are a chunk of the way through the season right now. Yeah. I, I just, I honestly like, I get it. Is there leverage? The trade deadline hasn't passed yet. It has not passed. Are they able to trade Gabby Williams? I think so. I haven't like studied this. Is that something that happens as well where you're trading players at the deadline? It's very difficult. Because, you know, the WNBA, they have a hard cap. It's not like the trade rules in the NBA where you just have to be within X percent. Like, you both teams have to enter you have to match under the, the hard cap. So, that's a real challenge. Fair enough. I, I just kind of see this as this is the most important lottery of the Storm's history and maybe WNBA history to a certain extent. I don't know if I go that far. I still think the Subert lottery was probably the most important in the Storm's history. Subert was nowhere near as famous as Caitlin Clark is right now I in mean, college. Not even close. That's probably true, but women's basketball wasn't as big of a deal, period, as it is now. Like, Subert, relative to what women's basketball was then, or relative to what the WNBA was then, I think still may have been bigger than Caitlin Clark. Who's is better, Caitlin Clark or Subert? <sighs> I mean, Subert is, you know, one of the greatest players, the greatest point guard in WNBA At history. At the time, not not knowing what would happen to Subert. Is Caitlin Clark a better prospect than Subert? Probably. Is Caitlin Clark the best prospect of all time? No, I don't think I would go that far. Shamiko Holdsclaw might have been the best prospect of all time. Okay, I remember that. Um... I mean, what's interesting about Sue is like she's, she's such an amazing amplifier. Not that Sue isn't a great player in own right, but like putting her on a team with Lauren Jackson. Whereas Caitlin Clark, to me, is much more like a single-handedly take you places. I mean, Isn't she's much more. what the Storm need right now, though. Well, they do have the, the leading scorer in the league. All right, and Joe Light. Uh, like if they got Peyton, Jeremy Grant's gonna be the leading scorer next year. <laughs> like Peyton, he's gonna put up he's well, gonna put up numbers. I, Jeremy Grant. I don't know if Scoot's gonna allow that. Uh, uh, no, Jeremy Grant's averaging thirty plus next year. Like Paige Beckers is the Sue comp. Okay. Like she's the one who would come in and make everybody else that much better. And like again, not that Kaelin Clark can't do that. Kaelin Clark to me is more the Tarasi in this year's group. If you're gonna compare it to anyone. Okay, but these are all very good comparisons. <laughs> no, You're comparing to like the best players of all time. And it, it also feels like like very rarely in WNBA history has there been a player that hyped who hasn't been very good. Because of the competition at college, doesn't it feel like players are coming... Because like, of the fact that you're, yeah, you're, and you've played four years. The jump between college basketball and WNBA basketball is not as great as it is from being like a I'm, promising freshman. In the, Aaliyah Boston is starting the All-Star game. And it's maybe a little bit of a stretch. I didn't pick her, but she was certainly an all-star. She was in the conversation to start. Is the first pick this year? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you you don't... It's not like Gwen Banyama is going to come in and start the all-star game this year unless he gets a lot of fan votes. But, like, you understand what I'm saying. I do. Like, there's not as big of a leap. Yeah. And most often, like, players... I'm trying to think who was the most disappointing number one overall pick in WNBA history. I'm not sure... 
what that answer is, but it, it probably was not someone nearly this hyped is the answer. But if the Storm, like, are just good enough to push for the playoffs this year and then miss the playoffs, they don't get as many ping pong balls or whatever. I mean, it's not a dramatic difference, but yes. Is that worth it right now? Does that make sense? It wouldn't be my approach. I'm also not running an organization that's trying to sell tickets at the moment. But is Gabby Williams really the difference between... If somebody is there... Look, they've obviously priced their tickets way too high. They could have never seen that Brianna Stewart was going to leave when she was a free agent the next year. But, like, some mistakes were made. Do you think that the difference between somebody being like, I'm going to pay $50 for a ticket to the Storm is being three games under 500 versus being 10 games under 500? I think the difference might be I went to the game and saw them win versus I went to the game and saw them lose in overtime. These are motherfucking season ticket holders this year. There are not single game ticket buyers at these games. There are some, obviously. It is a small amount. They are season ticket holders, and they are going to be lucky if they re-up next year. Well, they, they're re-upping next year maybe contingent on the lottery. But... Exactly. Which, again, comes back to, do you need Gabby Williams right now? What is more important is maintaining your season ticket holder base. And the season ticket holder base is going to be a lot more engaged if they have Caitlin Clark on the roster. It'll go up. If Caitlin Clark is on this roster... I agree, well. They would have... But there's a long way to go. I get it. But I don't know. I'm just kind of like... I'm not sure I see the logic of this signing. I think the logic is that Gabby Williams is a good player to whom they had restricted free agent rights. She wanted to play in the WNBA this season. I get it. They should try to trade her. We'll see. Learn something. NBA teams have figured this out. Again, it's much easier to make trades in the NBA. NBA teams have figured out tanking, too. It's also much easier to tank in the NBA. Not really, actually, because you only get 14% odds if you have the worst record. In the WNBA, the last team in the lottery, as we've talked about, has basically the same odds of winning the number one pick. They have 10% odds if you're the lowest team in the lottery. Really? Yeah, because there's only four teams. There's only four teams in the lottery? Yeah, and there's 14 in the NBA. So if the Storm make the... If they are in the lottery this year, which they almost certainly will be. They're likely to be, yeah. They would have a 25% chance... No, I'm saying, well, yeah, I mean, if you independent of who the other teams are and what their record is, yes. What are the what are the numbers? Again, it's like 44, I don't know, probably. Somebody has an almost 50% chance of the number one pick? Yeah. Just fucking lose, Storm! I mean, they... Are you kidding me? They have a 50, they could, could they be bad enough to have the the number one Again, I have not had chances? time to look at the two-year records yet. How much time can it take? Look, it's not like anything else is happening in your life in the NBA right now. This is all you're paying attention to. If this is, I am, am I the only person talking about this? I don't know if you're the only person talking about it. You're probably the most gung-ho about taking. Because I feel like I'm more in on like lottery positioning than most people I talk to. And you're much more so than I am. If they've, it helps that you don't have to watch any of the games right now. You have very none of the downside of taking. It doesn't matter. That gives you that gives you the right to enjoy seeing Caitlin Clark play by watching these games. For me, I'll just be a bandwagon fan. Okay, that's fine. You can hold it over me that you sat through this season, and you know what? We'll both be happy that way. 
<laughs> we both get Caitlin Clark. You could be a little bit more condescending. <laughs> Everybody gets what they want. How is it possible that if all you have to do is just lose one season and you have a chance at a generational player at an almost 50% chance? You can two seasons potentially. Like if Indiana's in the lottery, it does not matter what the storm does. What is the next odds? I don't know. It's like 30 or something. I don't know. These are extraordinary odds. I agree. I guess it's not that high. It kind of has to be, right? Yeah, it's probably... 40, 30, 2010, something like that? Yeah. I've... Cool. That's so all Gabby I have Williams joining the storm. That's all I have to say about Scott's that. Road trip. I mean, look, I'm happy for Gabby Williams playing. I think the rule is stupid that she even had to wait this long or whatever. She didn't have to wait this long. It had nothing to do with the rules anymore. This was just because of her recovery from the concussion. Ah, uh, okay. She could have signed this as soon as she wanted. Was there a way that she could have signed with somebody else this offseason? In the offseason? Or no? Not like nobody realistically is going to commit that cap space to her, not knowing whether she was going to be eligible to play. So that's where the rule did come into. They should trade Gabby Williams for a draft pick and an inspiring contract. Perhaps they will do that. I would be on the phones trying to find that 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 team right now. Not counting on it, but Fourth of July, I'd be there, being like, "Hey, every single team, fireworks going off. You're on your phone at the barbecue." (sighs) If if it meant that there was a chance of Caitlin Clark coming to Seattle, because things are bleak after that, if there's no Caitlin Clark, it is bleak it for this roster. Caitlin Clark, it's, there's a lot of good players potentially in this year's draft. Caitlin Clark also might not be in this year's draft. As a reminder, she can choose to go back for a fifth year. Is Ken Page Becker, who's probably more likely to do it because she hasn't played the last two years or didn't play last year due to injury and missed much of her sophomore year. Uh, we heard last week on the pod from Jake One, got the scouting report on Stanford's Cameron Brink, who can also be in this year's draft. Okay. Uh, there are other players. Angel Reese from LSU. Oh, well, Angel Reese. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's a loaded draft. So born in the U.S. Is <laughs> <laughs> that word good? <laughs> We're through the rundown. Okay. I mean, you you know that my number one in born in the U.S.A. What's that? It's two album cuts. Downbound Train, and oh, yeah. I'm on Fire. Oh, I'm on Fire was a single. Was it a single? Okay. That's not an album cut. But it's interesting. So I was telling the children today, I guess, I guess a couple of thoughts on Born in the USA. We're fully transitioning this. <laughs> I mean. I, I, I feel like it is kind of like the most important American album of all time. Wow. It's, it's come to signify American rock music, right? You don't agree with that? I don't know that I would I would use that phrase, no. It was a massive album. It's called Born in the USA. There's an American flag so on the cover. Old, that's true. Right? And it's by like the probably the most important working class American artist. I f- that's a that's a big statement. He's certainly He's the way most up there. representative representative of working class American. There's almost nobody else competing for that title. I, I think that there are some non white people who might like, but but that the the content in particular point out that you're you're using a very white frame of what working class I, America constitutes. I under, I understand that, but you but you get what I'm saying. I, it I is do. intentionally framed that way. Sure. And it was so interesting 
listening to Born in the USA with the children and being like, do you want to know what the song is about? And then breaking it down. Boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? How quickly did they tell you? What? Uh, shut up, Dad. No, no, no. They they were... They were into it? They weren't into it, but they were fine with it. They were learning about Wayne? Right. Like, they they were learning about the Viet Cong. Like, not the whole album. We're talking about Born in the USA, the song. Oh, I see. Okay. Not the whole album. <laughs> the whole album's kind of everywhere, but Born in the USA, the song. Talking to them. Luke already understands this, that it's more or less like protest song is probably too far. It's not the fucking 60s, you know what I mean? But like... But it's not the song that Reagan it, was trying to... Thought it was. It's not a patriotic anthem. It is about... It is about the problems that had happened in America, how we're not taking care of our service members. We sent people off to war for more or less nothing, right? For decades. I was telling the children, I was like, America was in this war with Vietnam for reasons. And all these people came back. They didn't have jobs after that. They had friends that died in the war. What was the theory? Did you get into the domino theory? Was that is that the theory? I, I told them that they were fighting a shadow war with Russia. Yeah. I mean, it got complicated. But so talking about that song... And I, but I still feel like people are still that, fighting shadow wars with Russia. But. Exactly, and we're back at it again, baby. Nineteen eighty four is back. Um, the, I feel like that's what makes it the most quintessential American album, though, because if it wasn't that song in particular, if if it was all about patriotism, the song would be fucking trash. You know what I mean? It would not be a song. Bruce Springsteen wouldn't write it, and it would not be a song that would have lasted for. Almost 40 years. Yeah. Right? Because unbridled patriotism is not interesting. I don't know. I feel like there is a certain brand of patriotism. Like there's the fact that God Bless America is played on every Sunday in the seventh inning stretch of baseball games. It's different. God Bless America is different. So... I, I thought that was interesting, but then also in the context of this album that I feel like in Bruce's career, when we were kids, when we were growing up, when I was first getting into rock music, the essential Bruce Springsteen album was Born to Run. Of course. There was no doubt about it. And the, the album that you liked if you were cool was Nebraska, and the album that was actually dope was Darkness on the Edge of Town, right? That's fair. A fair assessment. I suppose. Born in the USA in the Spotify era... Spotify has a, has a tendency, I for better or worse, Spotify has a tendency to amplify sometimes the best songs. Where you look at an artist where you're like, I actually am shocked that these songs are the biggest songs because it's shit that I liked that I felt like weren't like the biggest songs. Like I'm on fire? And whereas I'm on fire, 370 million plays. Yeah, that's pretty shocking. For, I, in the Dancing in the Dark is by such a dramatic margin the most played song off this album. Spotify also will amplify hits over time. And Born in the USA has a lot more hits than any other Bruce album. It will also amplify songs with music videos starring Courtney, Courtney Cox. Cox. I think that helped it. But so if you look at Bruce Springsteen on Spotify, top three songs, one, two, three, are all Born in the USA songs. Wow. And I think over time, in the modern era, his most important album is now Born in the USA. It's interesting because my Born in the USA experience is like listening to your CD of it constantly in your room while playing Madden Dynasties on PlayStation 2 probably, maybe uh-huh. Xbox by that point, uh, during the college years, more or less. Somewhere around like there, Like in yeah. the summers during college. 2003, 2004. Yeah. 
there's a lot of time. That and the the Harvest album, though, those are the two albums I was hitting hard oh, at that point. Harvest is banging, but critically not as like acclaimed as those other albums, right? No, like critics were the they were born in born to run people, and I think over time that transformed, and I think a lot of people sort of took Born in the USA as a little bit of not a joke, but like intentionally commercial, yeah, which was not a critical thing. And I think also over time... Well, there was a lot more distinction between commercial and critic critic success, critical success in 1984. Well, that, that's what, what else I'm saying. Is I 2023. Think over time, critics became less important. Yeah. Popularity became more important. Yep. Like, music that is successful is cooler now than it was in 1984. Yeah. But also, there are just some weird songs on this album. <laughs> okay. So you're a downbound train guy. I am a downbound train guy. I don't know that I can like make a lyrical argument for downbound train, but just hits for me. The breakdown at the end when he's talking about it. Oh, my God. No, that's that's some peak Bruce right there. Yeah. It's not necessarily darkness on the edge of town. Uh, I feel like I was telling the children, I was like, you know what makes a classic album? It's like, you have your hits, but every single song is like important and memorable on its own. Yes. And I actually feel like more than, well, darkness on the edge of town is not really in conversation, easily his best album, but like more than Born to Run, and I think more than Nebraska, it's like each of these songs, I'm like, I have a specific like perspective and emotion about each of these songs. Bobby Jean comes on, you're like, oh I can't yeah. believe that's got so few plays. That's a wild to me. How Bobby Jean is just kind of in lost to history. Uh I mean, Glory Days, also a little surprising it's not closer to the biggest hits from this one. Like that is such a like it captures a certain nostalgia in a way that I don't think any other song has done as well. Oh yeah, no, I'm like choked up listening to it. I'm like emotional because yeah, you're, you're thinking back to your your high school days that were the the high point the of your glory life. days. No, I, the whole time I'm just like you always imagine other people. Every song is about somebody else. You're not the main character in that song. You're the main character in some other songs. Bruce songs, you kind of never are. Fair. It's always a guy. You know, you hear it and you're like, thank God that's not me. But like, I can see this. That's that's why he's he's a. Like great lyricist or whatever. You're the narrator in this one. You're Bruce Springsteen. But kind of just like top to bottom. I- even if this isn't like lyrically, it is much more commercial. Where he's like, we like the same records, we like the same things. And you're like, that doesn't really sound I like I thought it was we like the same bands. Or we like the same bands that's in there, yes. But also you're like, it's so like non specific. Right. It's it could apply to anything. This record is way less specific than almost any other Bruce record from the peak era, 1978 to 1984. Or, Much less specific than Greetings No, it's, from, it's more than that. Greetings from Asbury Park? Like 1973 to 1984. Wait, how do, what did, do we determine how is that? <laughs> how is that word name actually pronounced? Asbury Park? Yeah. Because we were doing it wrong before, right? Asbury Park. It's pronounced like Asbury Park, I think. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but then you have Darlington County, which to me is the greatest Fourth of July anthem of all time. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I can't, I can't empathize with Wayne. 
You can't. No, nobody can empathize with Wayne, but there's always a Wayne around. Just <laughs> the name Wayne stuck too. With Wayne. Our popsy chone, one of the World Trade Centers. I'm telling the kids. I'm like, does anybody know what happened to those? It's like a history lesson going through. They know all about it, and I was like, I was like, yeah, they were knocked down by airplanes on September 11, 2001, the day that the blueprint came out. And Mateo was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> that to him, that's all September 11, 2001. It's, it's the day the blueprint came out. Uh, uh, really context. But like the the just the little like subtle things where he's like a union a union connection from an uncle Wayne and yes. stuff. There's just like little Bruce moments that I feel like they make it Bruce more than it's like a country song or something like that. And that when I'm talking to the children, I'm just like, you can't even hear this. Like you just have so little frame of reference for who this person is that Bruce is talking about. Uh, and then he's sexy on I'm on fire. Oh, I'm on fire. It really, I'm, I'm a little shocked. It's the, is it the third most played song in this? It's like close to board in the USA. I mean, it was pretty prominent in the tour, I suppose. I will say that, wasn't it? So. That wasn't one of the top three songs, though, on Spotify. It's Dance. Oh, no, it is number two. Dance yeah. in the Dark, I'm on Fire, Born in the USA. That's wild. And then Glory Days is number six. It's kind of bonkers. Because when, when I was listening to that in circa 2003, I had no context that I'm on Fire was popular. Look at that. Right My sense was always Dancing in the Dark, Born in the USA, and Glory Days yeah. were the big I think songs the, off I think album. those, when we were kids, I think those were the biggest hits. Yeah. Uh, this this Bruce. Here's the thing about it, amplifying songs, though. Spotify amplifying songs that are good. Badlands at number eight. Less plays than like The River or Thunder Road or whatever, which, by the way, those three, three best songs you ever record. Uh, and, but Do that, we have a list of the Springsteen songs that we played at your wedding? Did we play a lot of Springsteen songs? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't remember that? It, was it sounds great. Wish I was there. Uh, Badlands being in that spot, though, being at number the Bruce Springsteen's eighth biggest song on Spotify. Again, when we were kids, that would have been unheard of. That Badlands would have been that high, like commercially. All right, let's take, go through the singles order from Born in the USA. Number one, Dancing in the Dark. Number uh-huh. two, Cover Me. Oh, man. That was kind of an L. That's a good track. but <laughs> Number three, Born in the USA. Number four, I'm on Fire. Five, Glory Days. Six, I'm Going Down. And seven, My Hometown. Well over a year and a half after the... No, I guess not quite a year and a half. Well over a year after the album came out. Those are the, the Glory Days also when you can release <laughs> seven singles. <laughs> Right now, it's like six months after an album's out, and we're just like, I guess the campaign's over. We got nothing else left to do. Yep. <laughs> like, we've, we've played everywhere. We've played all the way to Detroit. We've got no other moves. Back then, Bruce Springsteen would be like, all right, it's time for, to release <laughs> Bored in the USA as a single, finally. It's single number three in November. Or in October, uh, I feel like... And a lot of people just had no idea what the fuck it was either. Real missed opportunity to not I, release I mean, that one in in June. He, he'd sold, obviously, millions of records at that point. But yeah. there were so many people out there who just never heard the song until it was a single. Ugh. Well, they were different times. Anyway. Uh, it For me... But, I mean, Bruce is eternal, obviously. I will listen to Bruce any place, any time. And then you have moments where you get really excited about Bruce. Around the 4th of July, though, that to me is the best Bruce time. When it's sunny outside 
and you're feeling just a little depressed. If you've spent a lot of time in the state of New Jersey, strictly in the airport. In, 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 in <laughs> yeah, tell room. me about your experience being in New Jersey. I've been in New Jersey as driving through at one time and flying in a Newark airport. Yeah. I mean, I've stayed in, I stayed intentionally in Newark before. This time I stayed, you know, the hotel was like across the street from the Meadowlands. Oh, really? Yeah. You remember I was supposed to go to Asbury Park, New Jersey. I was supposed to go to a music, music festival. festival. Yeah. And uh, that was when your band got going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, happy 4th of July, everyone, if you're listening then. If not, hope you had a good one. Thanks for listening. Thanks.